welcome to the official podcast for the Journal of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition. I am Raza Patel from the Women and Children's Hospital of Buffalo in Buffalo, New York, Department of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition. In this issue, we will outline selected articles from the November-December 2008 issue of JPGN. For more information and to access complete articles, please visit us online at www.jpgn.org or visit our society webpage at www.naspagan.org. Review article by Kevin A. Hommel, Laura Mackner, Lee Denson, and Wallace Crandall. Treatment Regimen Adherence in Pediatric Gastroenterology. Objective of this article is to review and critically evaluate the extent research pertaining to adherence in pediatric gastroenterologic diseases, particularly inflammatory bowel disease and celiac disease, and to provide recommendations for future research development. Methods. A literature search with no date restriction was conducted using PubMed and PsycInfo, electronic databases, as well as bibliographies of relevant articles. Results. Adherence rates in inflammatory bowel disease and celiac disease range considerably from 16% to 62% and 5% to 70% respectively across treatments and assessment methodology. Non-adherence frequency was generally not reported. Measures used to assess adherence include self-report, interview, diet record, and bioassay methods. Each measure demonstrated strengths and limitations. Limited evidence suggests that adherence in both disease populations is related to patient and family behavioral factors and that non-adherence is related to poor disease outcome. Treatment outcome research for non-adherence is scant in the current literature. Conclusions Future research should focus on refining assessment methodology, examining adherence and concomitant behavioral factors longitudinally, testing theoretical models of adherence, and developing efficacious treatments for non-adherence. Gastroenterology, original article. Expression of intestinal and lung alkaline sphingomyelinase and neutral ceramidase in cystic fibrosis F508-deleted transgenic mice. By Lena Olson, Lena Hechtel, Mike Hoon, Bob J. Schotti, Martina Wilkie, Malin Flodstrom Tolberg, and Ake Nilsson. Objectives The intestinal brush border enzyme, alkaline sphingomyelinase, and neutral ceramidase digest milk sphingomyelin and suckling neonates. In addition, alkaline sphingomyelinase, ceramidase, and acid sphingomyelinase have been implicated in sphingolipid signaling, which exhibits abnormalities in cystic fibrosis. In this study, we test the hypothesis that the expression of these enzymes is different in CF. Materials and methods. We use mice with F508-deleted mutation, a CF mouse model with well-characterized intestinal pathology. Enzyme activities were measured using radio-labeled sphingolipid substrate incubated with tissue homogenates from different organs and intestinal contents of wild-type mice, homozygous, and heterozygous F508-deleted mice. Results. No difference was found in the levels of ceramidase and alkaline sphingomyelinase in the small intestinal mucosa or in their longitudinal distribution. Acid sphingomyelinase activity was significantly lower in the mucosa of the distal half of the small intestine of F508-deleted compared to wild-type mice. Despite a lower body weight of F508-deleted mice, length and weight of the small intestine and weight per centimeter colon were larger than in the wild-type. Neutral ceramidase and alkaline sphingomyelinase activities in lungs were manifold lower than in the gut where acid sphingomyelinase activity was comparable in both organs. Ceramidase activity in spleen was significantly higher in F508-deleted than in wild-type mice. Conclusion 
alkaline sphingomyelinase, and neutral ceramidase are normally expressed in F508-deleted CF mice, whereas activity of acid sphingomyelinase in the distal small intestine is decreased. We found no difference in activity of these enzymes in lungs in this mouse model. Gastroenterology, original article. Quality of life of adolescents with treated celiac disease. The influence of compliance and the patient's age at celiac disease diagnosis. By Gudrun Wagner, Gabrielle Berger, Ursula Sinnerich, Vasela Greil, Edith Schober, Wolf Dietrich Huber, and Andreas Karwatz. Objective. To assist the influence of gluten-free diet compliance on the quality of life of adolescents with celiac disease and the impact of patient's age at time of diagnosis. Study design. Participants included 365 subjects, 283 adolescents 10 to 20 years of age with biopsy-proven celiac disease, 82 adolescents without a chronic condition matched for age, gender, educational, and social status. Their subjective quality of life comprising physical, mental, and social dimensions as defined by the WHO was measured and has been analyzed according to compliance status and age of celiac diagnosis. Results Adolescents noncompliant with GFD, gluten-free diet, reported a lower quality of life, more physical problems, a higher burden of illness, more familial problems, and problems in leisure time than adolescents compliant with a gluten-free diet. More frequent, gluten-free diet transgressions were associated with a poorer quality of life. Higher problem anticipation and higher feelings of ill-being were found in non-compliant group. No difference was found between the compliant celiac disease patients and adolescents without any chronic condition were found in all quality of life aspects. Adolescents with a late celiac disease diagnosis showed more problems at school and in social contact with peers, as well as worse physical health and higher celiac disease associated burden. Conclusions. Compliance with the gluten-free diet is an essential factor to obtain optimal quality of life. Psychosocial and educational support should be provided for those patients having difficulty strictly adhering to a gluten-free diet. Early celiac disease onset and diagnosis is associated with better physical health, lower celiac disease-associated burden, and fewer social problems, indicating the importance of the earliest celiac disease diagnosis possible. Gastroenterology original article. Comparison of novel whole blood transglutaminase-based ELISA with a whole blood rapid antibody test and established conventional serologic celiac disease assays. By Tina Maria Revo, Ilma Corpone Sabo, Tula Pajanen, Merja Ashorn, Sari Iltanen, Pekka Collin, Kaija Lorila, Eva Nemes, Judith Kovases, Geraldine Karad, Mike Sarmaki, Marku Maki, and Katri Kaukumnen. Objectives. Serum IgA class tissue transglutaminase and endomesial antibody tests play a key role in the diagnostic workup of celiac disease. Recently, a novel self-tissue transglutaminase-based whole blood rapid test was developed for celiac disease case finding. Based on the same principle, a whole blood self-TTG enzyme-linked immunoabsorbent assay especially applicable for large-scale screening of celiac disease has been produced. We assess the value of the new test in celiac disease antibody detection. Methods. The new test utilizes endogenous TTG found in red blood cells of whole blood in IgA class TTG antibody measurement by detecting TTG-TTG antibody complexes formed after hemolyzing the whole blood sample. 
stored whole blood samples from 150 untreated celiac disease patients and 107 non-celiac disease controls were evaluated, and the test results compared with those of the whole blood rapid test, two conventional serum-based TTG antibody ELISA, and two EMA tests. Results. Altogether, 15 whole blood samples were found to be clotted or dried after storage and were excluded from further evaluation. The whole blood ELISA test had a specificity of 98% compared to that of the conventional serologic tests, the sensitivity, 91%, being slightly lower. The test was concordant with the whole blood rapid test in 92% of cases, and two serologic ELISA tests in 91 and 94%, and the EMA tests in 94 and 93%. Conclusions Whole blood self-TTG-based testing is accurate in celiac antibody detection also when an ELISA method is applied. The testing requires no serum separation or external TTG. Gastroenterology, original article, Lymphocytic Gastritis and Celiac Disease in Indian Children, Evidence of a Positive Relationship, by Kashal K. Prashad, Babu Arthapa, Sadhana Lal, Arun K. Sharma, Chandar K. Nain, and Katar Singh. Objectives. Lymphocytic gastritis, LG, is characterized by the presence of greater than or equal to 25 lymphocytes per 100 epithelial cells in the gastric surface and pit epithelium. An association of LG with H. pylori infection or celiac disease has been suggested. The aim of the study was to verify the relationship of lymphocytic gastritis with celiac disease with and without H. pylori infection in children. Methods. 164 children with celiac disease diagnosed between June 2003 and October 2005, in whom gastric and duodenal biopsy was taken simultaneously were enrolled prospectively. The controls were 164 gender and age-matched non-celiac children undergoing upper digestive endoscopy. H. pylori was sought in gastric biopsies on H&E sections. A modified GIMP sustain for H. pylori was performed for confirmation. Students' t-tests were used to compare quantitative measurements between groups. Results Lymphocytic gastritis was found in 69, 42.1% of celiac disease patients. Positive cases had a mean of 43.9 plus 1.5 intraepithelial lymphocytes per 100 surface epithelial cells compared with a mean of 13.4 plus 0.4 in negative cases and 7.8 plus 0.5 in non-celiac controls, P less than 0.0001. Cases not showing lymphocytic gastritis did, however, show significant increase in gastric intraepithelial lymphocytes compared with non-celiac controls. Nine of 164 celiac disease patients were positive for H. pylori, and four of 69 patients of lymphocytic gastritis were H. pylori positive. Conclusions This study supports a pathogenic relationship between celiac disease and lymphocytic gastritis. Celiac disease without lymphocytic gastritis also showed increased gastric intraepithelial lymphocytes. H. pylori infection may be another cause of lymphocytic gastritis in children. Hepatology and Nutrition, original article. Liver disease associated with ZZ-alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency and ursodeoxycholic acid therapy in children. By Peneotis Licavaris, Beatrice Ducot, Alain Lachau, Alain Dabadi, Pierre Bruet, Jacques Sarlet, Oliver Bernard, and Emmanuel Jacquemin. Objectives. 
to investigate the effect of ursodeoxycholic acid, UDCA, in children with liver disease associated with ZZ-alpha-1 antitrypsin, AAT deficiency. Methods. 42 affected children receiving UDCA at a dosage of 30 mg per kilogram per day and underwent clinical and biochemical follow-up at least yearly. Results. In group 1, 22 children with a mean initial GGT of 7.4 times normal, normalized serum liver tests, and a mean treatment of 2.6 years. In 16 of these children, UDCA was discontinued. Relapse was observed in 11 cases and liver tests returned to normal after UDCA resumption. In the other 5 children, liver tests remained normal during a mean period of 2.5 years. In group 2, 11 children with a mean initial GGT of 12.8 times normal presented with an improvement of liver test observed after a mean treatment of 2.3 years. In group 3, 9 children with a mean initial GGT of 33.8 times normal had no liver test improvement and evolution towards cirrhosis requiring liver transplantation in 7. Most of the children in group 1 normalized clinical examination after UDCA treatment versus none in group 3. P less than 0.00001. Initial GGT, P less than or equal to 0.002, and total bilirubin, P less than 0.05, levels were significantly lower in group 1 than in group 3. Combined initial values of GGT less than or equal to 5.5 times normal and a total bilirubin less than 66 millimoles per liter were associated with liver test normalization in 90% of cases. Conclusions. UDCA may improve significantly clinical status and liver test in some children with liver disease associated with ZZ alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. No beneficial effect of UDCA was shown in children with the most severe liver involvement. Initial levels of GGT and total bilirubin may be of prognostic value for therapy effectiveness. Hepatology and Nutrition, Original Article Etiology and Management of Extrahepatic Portal Vein Obstruction in Children King's College Hospital Experience by Nahal Abd Alhamid, Rachel Taylor, Daniela Marinello, G.J. Mufti, Raj Patel, Georgina Mieli Vergani, Mark Davenport, and Anil Dawan. Objective to study a single center experience of the management of extrahepatic portal vein obstruction in children over the last three decades. Methods The medical records of 108 children, 67 male, median age 4.75, with a range of 1 day to 16.3 years, presented with extrahepatic portal vein obstruction between 1979 and 2005, were reviewed retrospectively. Results. Extended prothrombotic screening performed in 30 patients revealed low protein C activity in 6 out of 30 patients, low free protein S, 2 out of 30, and a positive lupus anticoagulant in 1 out of 30 patients. Factor V Leiden mutations and the JAK2V617F mutation were not identified. Associated congenital anomalies were found in 26 children, 24%. Clinical presentation included splenomegaly in 91% and ascites in 3%. Elevation of liver enzymes and prolonged INR were seen in 12% and 13% of children, respectively. Hematologic parameters of hypersplenism were present in 13 patients, 12%. Bleeding occurred in 77% of patients. The median age of 4.58 years with a range of 0.02 to 16.37 years. On first endoscopy, esophageal varices were present in 93% of patients, 76% received sclerotherapy, 5% had band ligation, and 17% received both. 
Complications of endoscopy occur in 37% of patients. Out of 34 children, esophageal ulcers were seen in 16, esophageal strictures in 10, both in 7, and erosive gastritis in 1. 17, or 16% of children, underwent shunt surgery for uncontrolled bleeding at a median age of 9.7 years, with a range of 5.2 to 23.7 years. Conclusion The etiology of extrahepatic portal vein obstruction in the majority of patients remains unknown. Sclerotherapy and banding are effective treatment of bleeding varices with good long-term outcome. Procoagulant state is an unfrequent cause of extrahepatic portal vein obstruction in children. Hepatology and Nutrition, Original Article Serum linoleic acid status as a clinical indicator of essential fatty acid status in children with cystic fibrosis by Asim Makbul, Joanne Aishal, J. Felipe Garcia Espana, Babette S. Zemmel, Bridget Strandvik, and Virginia A. Stallings. Background Children with cystic fibrosis and pancreatic insufficiency are at an increased risk for essential fatty acid deficiency. Objectives to investigate serum markers of essential fatty acid status in children with cystic fibrosis and pancreatic insufficiency and their association to growth, body composition, and lung function. Design Serum phospholipid fatty acid growth and pulmonary FEV1 and percent predicted status were assessed at baseline and 12 months in 77 children with cystic fibrosis and pancreatic insufficiency between the ages of 7 to 10 years old. Longitudinal mixed effect models were used for comparing associations of the triene to tetrine ratio, T to T ratio of icosylcetraenoic acid to arachidonic acid, and serum linoleic acid with the clinical outcomes. 23 healthy Caucasian age and sex matched children served as controls for serum fatty acids. Results Children with cystic fibrosis and pancreatic insufficiency had higher median tetraene ratio and a lower linoleic acid than healthy controls. Depending on the tetraene ratio cutoff points used, 0.04 or 0.02, either 17 or 52% of the children with cystic fibrosis had essential fatty acid deficiency. Only linoleic acid was significantly and positively associated with z-scores for weight, height, BMI, upper arm muscle area, and FEV1 at baseline. Children with linoleic acid greater than or equal to 21 mole percent has significantly better growth and pulmonary status than those with lower concentrations. Conclusions Serum phospholipid linoleic acid greater than 21 mole percent was associated with better growth, body composition, and FEV1. No clinical outcome associations were found with the tetraene ratio findings. These findings suggest that linoleic acid concentration was a more clinically relevant biomarker of essential fatty acid status than the tetraene ratio ratio in children with cystic fibrosis and pancreatic insufficiency. Further research is warranted to validate the specific percent linoleic acid cutoff point as a new recommendation for clinical use. Special feature, an article by Dr. Jeffrey Techman titled, Biliary Atresia, Draining Our Certainty. The following articles from other leading journals are summarized in this issue. Maternal Microchimerism in Underlying Pathogenesis of Biliary Atresia. Quantification in Phenotypes of Maternal Cells in the Liver by Toshihiro Muraji, Susumo Ikahara, featured in Pediatrics 2008, NAS 121, pages 517 to 521. Postoperative high-dose steroids do not improve midterm survival with native liver and biliary atresia, by Klaus Peterson, Benno M. Ure, featured in the American Journal of Gastroenterology, 2008, volume 103, pages 712 to 719. 
For more information and access to full articles, please visit us online at www.jpgn.org or visit our society webpage at www.naspegan.org.